Welcome to the Hereby Call podcast, where we focus on preparing the called and reminding the returned by sharing life-changing experiences from serving the Lord. Sit back and relax because you're listening to the best podcast of this dispensation. Let's say there's a there's a, a sister out there and put her papers in and she gets her her uh, her mission call to your exact mission. What would be some words of advice that you would give her? Um, I would say first get on your knees and thank your heavenly father for sending you to the greatest. <laughs> that's a great reaction. I was about to say, that's um, that awesome. awesome. My, my first word of advice to open up your heart, let these people teach you and to learn their culture because they, they love to share it. They're not selfish with their beliefs. Be ready to enjoy a, a wonderful mission. Welcome back to the Hereby Called podcast. I'm Jordan and alongside me is my co-host and brother-in-law, Zach. Hi. <laughs> we're, we're super excited. We're here with Kimmy Smith. Kimmy, how you doing? Good. Thank you. Kimmy is joining us over the computer. She's our first... Uh, Colin. Colin. Yes, we're excited. But I, And I feel bad because, Kimmy, it's been like two or three months and we've been trying to get this interview to happen, but this thing <laughs> called the coronavirus happened, so it's kind of slowed everything down. Um, yeah, no worries. But but just a little introduction, at least from what I know of Kimmy, is you're you're the sister-in-law of Annie Smith, who served in my same mission, correct? Yes, yeah. So, um, and then we, we were trying to schedule this earlier, and Kimmy was on the front lines in New Orleans fighting the virus, working as a nurse, or or yes, yeah. Oh my nurse. goodness! So, Kimmy, what was the official name of the mission you served in? New Zealand Hamilton. And. What, like, just backing up, like, what made you want to go on a mission? Um, so I, I guess growing up, it wasn't as popular for girls to go on missions at that point. The big surge hadn't happened yet, but both of, I have two older sisters and both of them served missions back when it wasn't the thing to do. <laughs> the, <laughs> so, this is before 2012 when, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So watching them go on both of their missions and then I had the chance to go pick them up when they were done. Um, and they had just set a great example for me and I wanted to have similar experiences. And so it was kind of something I had always planned on, um, even before the age change. So I was going into my senior year of high school when the change happened. So it ended up just being great timing. I got my mission call my last day of high school and then left that fall. So it ended up just being great timing for me, but it was always kind of something that I knew that I wanted to do. Awesome. And so having those examples of your older sisters, um, where did they serve? And you said you went to go pick them up. So you got to see a little bit of what it was like to be a sister missionary. Uh, Where did they serve? So my oldest sister, Goldie, served in uh, the Spain Bilbao mission. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) And then, yeah. And then my sister, Carly, served in the Armenia Yerevan mission. Oh, my goodness. And so you went to go pick up both of them. Yeah. So you yeah. got, that's so cool that you, as a younger sister, got to experience, you know, all these different cultures and it gets you to experience a sister missionary from each culture. You know, I think that's a very good going into wanting to serve a mission that you had those two examples for you going forward. Yeah. And my brother didn't serve a mission, but was an Olympic ski racer. And so he was traveling around a lot. And also his example of sharing the gospel and being an example to the people he was around. Um, Yeah. Between all three of them, it just, I knew it was something I wanted to do. 
Awesome. Super talented family. Yeah. <laughs> so take us into that moment when you open up your mission call and you read that you're going to New Zealand. Hamilton, New Zealand. Hamilton, New Zealand mission. Uh, so I had had a tennis tournament the day before and my tennis partner had asked me, you know, if you could pick anywhere in the world that you'd want to go, where was it? And I said, New Zealand. No way. <laughs> and so when I opened it, there was just this shock of, is this actually happening? Is the, am I dreaming? I, I was so excited because I'd wanted to serve in a foreign country, but was nervous about learning a new language. And so I just said, New Zealand would be perfect. And it's somewhere I'd always wanted to go. And and so I was I was pretty elated um, when that call came through. So my knowledge of New Zealand is like, there's literally everything in New Zealand. There's like mountains, there's like green rolling hills, and then there's major cities. What is, what is Hamilton or what, what was your mission? Was it the, the, the Pacific beaches or the mountains? I don't know. Everything, <laughs> all of the above. Yeah, it was a little bit of everything. Um, so the Hamilton mission covers from, there's three missions in New Zealand. So the North uh, mission is Auckland and that's South, the South portion of Auckland and North. Um, and then they also cover the Cook Islands. I'm not sure if that's how it still is, but when I was there, they also covered the Cook Islands. And then Hamilton covers from South Auckland down to um, a little uh, province called uh, Taranaki, which was my last area and is kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And then across, so it's kind of the middle third of the okay. North Island. Yeah, I'm looking and at then, a map right now. That's it's yeah. still a, that's probably a big, ge geographically, it's a big mission, yeah? Yeah, for yeah for New Zealand it's big. <laughs> I guess it's <laughs> still an island, right? <laughs> but yeah, for New Zealand it was big. And then um, and then the the last mission covers south of Taranaki and Gisborne, um, which is on the other side, and then south, and then the entire South Island. So yeah, so I didn't. I was just yeah second second third of the North Island, which in my opinion is has the best places. It's a lot of the classic tourists uh, locations are in that, that middle third. And so I feel really blessed that I got to go there. That's cool. Isn't that where the that where Lord, Lord of the Rings? Yeah. Where, so, that, yeah. So Hobbiton is in that section. Oh. A lot of the filming of like all of that is in the South Island, which I, we went to the South Island last year and I am a huge South Island fan now. <laughs> really? It's always kind of like a North Island snob, like, oh, that's where all stuff <laughs> is. but the South Island is incredible. I, I loved every second of it. But yeah, so Hobbiton was in my mission. I That's served cool. just, yeah, 25 minutes from there. So so culturally, is there like a, oh, you had, uh, I can't, I do, can't do a New Zealand accent. Are you from the North? <laughs> like, is there, is there like is a there divide a in the, the North and South Island? You know, like, oh, you're from the North. Because you kind of said you were a North Island snob. I'm just curious. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say there's like as much of a divide. Um, I felt like my the short amount of time I spent in the South Island, it had more of a, a British influence where I felt like in the North, we got more of the authentic uh, Modi, which is like the native people. The, I got, I feel like I got more of an authentic experience with them up there versus the South Island where I feel like is a little more... British gotcha. influenced. So yeah, I wouldn't say there's as much as of a divide, but they're just different and culturally they're pretty different. Gotcha. That makes sense. So give us a little, like just a brief overview. Like I kind of want to do like speed round cultural, like what, what, what is it like? Like what was your favorite food in Hamilton <laughs> or, or so, new to you? Yeah. Um, so food wise, it's they're pretty diverse. Uh, this may sound dumb, but they have like the best potatoes on earth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
sweet potatoes. Their potatoes are so good. And I'm from Idaho, so I appreciate a good potato. Wow, yeah, and you... I, yeah, their potato, um, a lot of lamb. There's like four times the amount of sheep as to people ratio in New Zealand. So we ate a lot of lamb. Um, and then as far as um, Maori food, um, one of my favorite things was a hangi, which is they bury vegetables and meat and they put it in the ground and the ground there's a lot of geothermal activity in new zealand and so they'll bury it and it'll cook underground with leaves and then they pull it out and it's just yummy so they don't even have to like their dutch oven (laughs) they don't even have to like make a fire like the ground itself will just cook it yeah so in some places they'll do a fire and they'll put the fire on top and then in other places um one of the areas i served in rotorua very geothermal and so they can just put it like in a basket straight into the ground really? in their backyard <laughs> like, they have these hot spots and now. it'll cook and yeah that's crazy it's like i'm gonna go make some mashed potatoes just dig a hole just in the backyard <laughs> yeah. that's insane i never i never yeah. that's that's crazy is there any like staples to New Zealand? Like, I don't, th- when I think of like New Zealand food, I don't, I, I don't even know. What is New Zealand yeah, food? Yeah. Like what is it? Just- Obviously is it la- like lamb and potatoes? Yeah. And I would say like meat pies. That's like another pretty classic New Zealand, which may be kind of a competition between that's a New Zealander and Australia thing. Cause they tend to fight over <laughs> what <laughs> things are actually there or like pavlova is like a really famous, um, New Zealand dessert. Um, but yeah, just a lot of meat and potatoes, but I loved that. And a lot of ice cream. They love their dairy down there. Really? They have like the most amazing cheese and they're a huge dairy industry. So yeah, amazing milks, cheeses, ice creams. Was there ever stuff. a food or a drink that was really strange or you didn't quite get along with? Um, Kenna, which is a sea urchin. They will boil the sea urchin and then you eat their guts and it kind of just, <laughs> yeah, it tasted like guts. <laughs> it wasn't my favorite, but I was open to trying things. But I think that was probably the most strange thing um, that we ate there. Yeah, the sea urchin wasn't a fan. <laughs> so let, let's jump into your mission. You go to the MTC. I imagine you went to Provo. Yes. Yeah. And then after being there for a couple of weeks and learning, you know, how to teach the gospel, you, you go to New Zealand and you're signing, you're knocking doors and you're, you're teaching people. Who, who are some of the people that when you think back on your mission, like come to mind or that had a big impact on you? Um, so as far as New Zealand and, and specifically my mission in general, we didn't do a lot of door knocking. I think I maybe knocked doors five times my whole mission and that was like our absolute last resort as opposed to my husband who served in Atlanta and it was like you know 10 hours a day of knocking doors but everyone walks around there and the weather's always nice so everyone's always out and about and so that's how we would always find people is just out on the street and every area was a biking area so you're you're out on the street anyways talking to people and um and everyone's just really warm. There was maybe two or three times that someone was even, I would say, unkind to us. Um, everyone's really nice. Even if they're not interested, they'll invite you in and, you know, give you a meal and, you know, want to hear about your life. And um, But as far as, like, specific people that come to mind, um, there was a boy that my companion and I saw walking on the street. He was 17. And he looked about, like, the least interested person on earth to listen to what we had to he had these big headphones on and I remember he was carrying like a huge pack of monsters 
and he was wearing like a skull hoodie and he, he looked like the absolute, yeah. Like he, he wasn't interested at all, <laughs> but my companion who's much more righteous than I, um, <laughs> approached him and, um, invited him to come to church with us the next day. And it, we happened to be right by the chapel. So we walked him down and showed him where the chapel was. And, um, he said he would come. And so in my mind, I'm like, Oh yeah, sure. He's going to come. <laughs> and, Sure enough, Sunday morning, he walks in with his, you know, white shirt and school hoodie on and walks in and sits down. Um, and from then on, I think it was about close to four months of, you know, five days a week doing lessons with him. Um, and something really unique about his experience is he would constantly say that he didn't know that the church was true or that he didn't know that Joseph Smith was a prophet, but that he was willing to do and live the commandments in order to find that knowledge and that he wanted it to be true. And even up into his baptism, he said, you know, I'm, I'm getting baptized because I, I want this to be true. And I believe that if I keep commandments and do what heavenly father wants me to, that he will grant me this knowledge and I think that was a really different experience because I think most of the time we expect investigators to just have this aha moment and just know it's true. And then once they know it's true, they'll be baptized. But sometimes the action needs to come before the knowledge. And so watching him be baptized and confirmed and then, you know, throughout the next few months, really start to gain a, a, an assurance and a testimony. Um, but he was just always such a great example to me and of just not judging people, you know, by the outside, because, um, there was a, a man inside of him that was extremely spiritual and looking for guidance and, and he was the perfect candidate, but, you know, had our, our selfishness or our judgment, um, looked past him, you know, we would have, we would have never been able to find that. Wow. That's, that's quite a testimony of faith on his part of just moving forward. Yeah. Maybe, you know being in the dark a little bit and just walking, I guess on the water for a while until you think something's, yeah. something's going to There was enough light to, yeah. to keep them going for more. Is there a demo, like, is the demographic in New Zealand, are they, are they Christian? Are they mostly pertain to, I don't know, Catholic, Catholicism or something like that? Um, I would say that most people in New Zealand are spiritual. Um, most, yeah, the, the vast majority are spiritual. Um, not necessarily Catholic or, or or to any denomination, but just they're very spiritual people in general. So the gospel came very easily to okay, them because okay. they have a, a rich, um, a rich belief in a higher power. And that's kind of across all, you know, with the uh, Pacquiao, the white people, and also the Moni people, um, for the most part, everyone's, yeah, extremely yeah. spiritual. And that's kind of what I was getting towards is because my knowledge of the Maori people and even like, you know, Australians is they, they do have a very core belief, very spiritual belief, right? The Island and, and the ground and stuff like that. And so knowing you said, you correct me if I'm wrong. You said this, the, the gospel came very easy to them. The principles of the gospel came very easy to them because they had a deeper belief just in their core. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I sent, we always send out a little questionnaire just to know kind of what to talk about. And you, you listed like, eight people that, that really impacted <laughs> you. Um, and one of the names was Carla. Tell us about Carla. Oh, I'm like going to try to not get emotional. Uh, <laughs> Too <laughs> late. Hearing her name, like, oh, pull it together. Um, so Carla, I would say was probably, um, if not, 
yeah, probably the most impactful, um, experience that I had, um, as a missionary. I, it was my first night in a brand new area. I served in my first area for six months. So it was my first day outside my, in my new area. Um, I was follow-up training, um, one of the, the, my sweetest companions. And she told me that, you know, we have a lesson today and she seems pretty interested. Um, we did a quick lesson with her. She came with a friend to church. And, um, so now we're going to do kind of our first official lesson. And, um, we went into, um, her home and we taught her, um, the restoration and we invited her to be baptized. And she, you know, she said, yes, you know, when, the, when I'm allowed to be baptized, I would, I would love to be. And we said, well, you know, you can, you can get baptized as, as soon as you want. You know, we have, you know, we need to finish our lessons and, you know, go through some commitments and stuff, but you can be baptized as soon as you want. And, and I just remember her, the relief on her face that she would be able to be washed clean of, you know, her sins and her past. And, um, it was just so amazing to see someone so excited to get baptized. Cause sometimes it felt like, you know, it was, it was this long process and that, uh, people weren't as excited sometimes, you know, that it was almost, you had to, you know, kind of, um, not, uh, not convince people, but it was a longer process to get them to the point where they were ready to be baptized and that they were excited about making that decision because they had to have all this knowledge beforehand. But with her being such a spiritual uh, person that was looking for the truth and looking for a way to change um, baptism, she was just so excited about it. Um, and so she was able to be baptized. And then her son, uh, Rangi, was also baptized. And she has just continued to flourish. She uh, just went through the temple. I think it's been about two years ago now. Um, and has flourished. She's speaking at state conferences and um, holding wow. callings and has just been so, so incredibly strong. And um, it was just amazing to see how much um, how much she had been prepared prior to uh, us meeting her, that she had already done so many of the steps of, of you know, believing in Christ and prayer and looking for all these things. And so when we came in, it was just the here are the steps and she was able to take them and and um, and flourish and, and has just done amazingly. That's awesome. And it's, it sounds like she had. It sounds like it sounds like there's like maybe a, a cultural or for some reason this 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 feeling that she had that like I can't change right now like there needs to be some type of time period to wait and that's I don't know why we do that but that's not that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ like you can you can change right right now like that's what miracles are all about and um, that's so beautiful that she was able to make these changes and it sounds like she's obviously you know continuing to grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ just a just a powerhouse down there. Yeah. We, we went back last year. Um, my husband and I went back for a trip and were able to meet up with her and I just being around her, I, it made me want to be better. Her talking about the experiences that she's having and the prayer and study of the scriptures that she's doing. And it was a good reminder to me of, of what I need to be doing because <laughs> watching her who, you know, you know, had such little knowledge and now is, you know, you know, quoting prophets to me and, and just talking about, you know, these amazing experiences she's having sharing the gospel. It's just been, it's been really incredible to watch. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, it's interesting. I, I, I myself had a baptism that served a mission and it's like, I don't know. I, I grew up in the church, 
but my, I never really, I guess, quote unquote feasted. Right. And so when you get people like this and they're so gung ho and they're so it like becomes a real part of their life. Whereas for people who might've grown up in the church, it just becomes kind of a natural routine. Right. Um, and so with Carla seeing that it was, it, it, she knows the difference. So with and without, yeah. right. It's she, like, I just want to go, granted, go hardcore into it. And I, and it's so awesome. Even as a member of the church today, there's so much that I don't know and that I can learn. Right. And it's just awesome to watch these people progress and, and, and just keep learning and learning and learning and becoming, like you said, serving in the stake and being an example to all those people around them. Yeah, exactly. So Carla is not the only amazing person you met. No, there's a, there's a, there's, there's <laughs> a, a long list. list. <laughs> t- t- tell, us, tell us about Courtney. <clears throat> Courtney. So um, she was a companion of mine. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so we served together um, for two transfers. Most of my companions were only one or one transfer. I only had a couple that I got for more than one. Um, and she was one of the ones that I was lucky enough to be with for a little bit longer. Um, but Courtney is one of the most unique people I've ever met and the most authentic herself. Uh, she has a really rare, um, disease that actually runs her family, but is, is really rare worldwide, um, where her voice is really quiet. She has a vocal cord impairment. And so her voice is really, really soft. So she kind of just speaks in a whisper and it was something that always, um, affected her her confidence and being able to share the gospel and I remember her saying that she felt like she didn't have the personality to share the gospel and that when she got the answer to go on a mission that she was terrified and she thought the heavenly father had the wrong person because that couldn't be her answer to serve a mission because she didn't have this you know overwhelmingly you know outgoing personality like what she had seen you know missionaries in her ward and um her older sister who's very outgoing and bubbly and had served a mission before her Um, but there was a particular investigator that we were teaching and, um, Courtney, we had been teaching him for a long, long time, um, and hadn't really made a lot of progress. And Courtney kind of stopped in the middle of a lesson at one point and said that she just felt like she needed to share her testimony with him. And it was, she just has the softest, sweetest voice. And she shared this, this long testimony And when it came to the end, um, the investigator said that he, it was the first time that he had felt the spirit and had felt a confirmation of what we were saying was true and then committed to baptism on his own at that point. And he told us that her spirit and her, um, her, you know, vocalization of her testimony was exactly what he needed and that it was the way that he needed it to be said. And, um, And to me, that was just such a great example that every person, no matter your personality, your background, um, your experience in the gospel, that every single person is needed in the work and that, you know, my outgoing crazy, you know, in your face personality was not the person that he needed in order to have conversion. And what he needed was her sweet, soft testimony and to watch her, um, realize that and then gain the confidence to then, you know, be, be more willing to share. And, you know, kind of from that point, it was just a turning point that, you know, she was not afraid to stop people and to share her testimony and to speak up and to watch that start in her mission there. And then, you know, 
bleed over into her life. Now she's, you know, working and doing jobs. She lives in Sydney, Australia, and is in jobs that are very social where she interacts with a lot of people. And she, it has just, you know, changed who she is. She is just, uh, you know, she was amazing. And she had this, this beautiful spirit inside of her, but then watching her be able to flourish and everyone to be able to see what I, you know, what everyone around her was able to see, um, was just a really amazing experience. So she's, she's one of my closest friends to this day. And, um, I just appreciate her example so much. And anytime I'm ever afraid to do something or I'm nervous about something, I, I think of her and, um, yeah, it gives me, you know, the, the strength and confidence to be able to move forward. Wow. She sounds like a, an awesome testimony of kind of the ether 1227, like your weaknesses become strengths and it's not, yeah. it's not the power of your voice as much as it is the power of your words and of your intention and of your spirit. And she sounds like a very, very powerful person. Yeah, she, yeah, she is one of, one of the most powerful that I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's cool. I was going to bring that up as well. It sounds like, um, post that experience, it also gave her the confidence that she needed to perform, you know, in other aspects of her life and, you know, both parties gained from that. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's amazing. So as you're serving your mission, one of the most influential people besides your companions and the people you teach is also your mission president. What, what impact did your mission president and his wife have on you? Um, so a little bit of background on my mission president, because I think, um, his service, this will give a lot of context to it, but, uh, so Matthew Cowley, I don't know if you guys are familiar with him. He was a, um, general authority, um, and back way back. (laughs) And he served as a young missionary in New Zealand and had a great impact. And then he came back and also served as mission president, um, in New Zealand and did a lot. He translated the Book of Mormon into the Dr. Ear, not the Book of Mormon. He translated, (laughs) (laughs) uh, the Doctrine and Covenants of the Pearl of Great Price into Maori and helped revise the Book of Mormon in Maori because it was a very old, um, translation and just an amazing, um, uh, influence there. And, uh, my mission president's father served as a young missionary under Matthew Kelly as the mission president, um, Glenn L. Rudd. He, he is an amazing man. He did a lot for the church welfare system was one of, uh, president Monson's, um, closest friends. Um, and so my mission president had grown up hearing the stories of New Zealand. Um, his father, then went back and was also mission president, was temple president, area president. He went on, I think, 25 different trips to New Zealand for the church. Wow. And so his <laughs> his whole childhood was all New Zealand and hearing wow. the stories and, and the miracles of the church there. Um, and so he just had such a sweet, um, s- sweet love for the people and for the country. And to me, that knowing his history made made me love love the people and the country that much more too. Um, and then besides that, he's just, he's an amazing man. Um, one of probably the most merciful people that I've ever met, you know, we, we tended to kind of be a a rambunctious group and (laughs) he just, you know, he was so honest with us, um, in, in how hard things were or the, the struggles, you know, he was never one to just say, you know, we'll just figure it out and do it. You know, he was right there with us, you know, that he understood the difficulties and the hardships, but, 
but, you know, assured us with, with great testimony that it would, um, that things would work out. Um, and then his wife was just an amazing, um, light of joy and, you know, being able to see them and have conversations with them was the, the boost that, uh, that we, that I always needed. Um, so yeah, just their, their family history there was amazing. Um, when we had a visit from, I guess at the time he was elder Nelson, but now president Nelson came and visited our mission. And he said that when they were in the temple, um, deciding new mission presidents and my mission president's name came up, um, that they had said, you know, is there any openings in New Zealand? And they said, no, you know, the mission presidents there still have some time left. And he said, well, then we'll make, uh, we'll make another, we'll make another (laughs) mission. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we'll make another oh. mission. So he opened the New Zealand Hamilton mission. I was just, you know, uh, I always thought that that was such a, a great wow. story. And um, it, it felt like, you know, it was it was made for him. And um, then his father was able to come back while we were there and tour around. And he still spoke fluently and was able to share, you know, the miracles of the early days in the church there, um, which there are a lot of. So just a very unique family history and uh, made it a really wonderful experience. Well, your mission president sounds like he was a powerhouse. Not not just bread. a powerhouse, but like bread to be yeah, that mission it's in president. His blood. Like yeah. foreordained. Crazy, crazy history. Um tell us about about Hola. Is that how you say it? Or um it's Hala. Hala. Yeah. Hola. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so her whole name is Hala Hola Kinney Kinney is her first and last name. So she was Sister Kinney Kinney, which I coined as I would call for her as uh, Kinney Kinney Kinney, like a kitty. And you know, she really <laughs> liked that. <laughs> or she acted like she did. Um, she was one of my amazing companions from um, Tonga. Uh, from the kingdom of Tonga, as she would say. Um, And she was just amazing. Um, So one of the experiences that uh, really, I guess, kind of exemplifies who she is, uh, we got a phone call um, late one night and I answered the phone and they asked for Sister Kinney Kinney. And I didn't recognize the voice. And so I asked who it was and it said, they said, I'm her brother. And immediately my heart kind of sank because, you know, that didn't sound like a good thing. And, um, and so I handed the phone over to her and said, you know, it's your brother. And just immediately she fell to the floor and was crying. And so I was trying to comfort her, but she was speaking in tongue. And so I had, you know, I had no idea what was going on. Um, and then after a while, got off the phone with her brother and explained to me that her, her father had just passed away. Oh, wow. And, um, and my immediate reaction was like, okay, well, like, let's, you know, let's call President Rudd and, you know, let's get you home so you can, you know, be at the funeral. And, and she said, you know, um, my father, you know, sent me on a mission to serve the Lord and, and he would want me to stay. He wouldn't want me to come home for this. He knows that this is right where I'm supposed to be. And just watching her strength of how much she was struggling and mourning the loss of her father, but turning that into an opportunity to teach about the power of families and the power of the plan of salvation. And that she knew because of temples that her family was going to be together forever was just such an amazing thing to witness because she would explain my father just died a few days ago, but I'm here because I, I want families to have the knowledge that I have, that I'm going to see my father again. And she was just able to turn this, this horrible experience into such an amazing one where she was able to bear testimony. And it was just such an amazing example to me of, you know, not wallowing in our own 
you know, self-pity because no one would have blamed her if she did. You know, no one expected her to keep going. Um, but she understood her true purpose as a missionary was to bring others to Christ and to bring, you know, allow their other families to be together forever like hers was. So that was, that was a pretty amazing um, experience with her to watch her her go through that and just one of the most faith-filled individuals I've I've ever met there was um a little bit of a lighter story there was one time we were walking into a fence and she's very tall she's probably like six foot two and I'm a tall girl too and she made me feel so petite she I was always felt very protected with her just size 14 shoe like she oh my is, goodness wow. yeah she she is just like a big mama bear and we had walked into a fence and um, behind someone's house that we were going to see. And I heard a really loud dog bark. And I hear like scratches, scraping, scraping, scraping. And then this huge dog come through the door. And I immediately kind of scream and jump behind her. And she just pets this dog and is talking to it. And, you know, everything's fine. I'm like, oh, it's a nice dog. And then the owner comes out and there, she was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that dog didn't bite you that dog is so mean she always bites everybody and I you know just was like oh you know they're like someone's looking out for us and then later she shared with me when we got back to our room that she had seen the beware of dog sign but that had said a prayer that like that we would be protected and <laughs> just walked in, walked through the gate and I was like whoa we have a lot of faith and we were protected so yeah very faith-filled in every <laughs> in every um aspect of her life <laughs> That is awesome. Yeah. She is just <laughs> what you said, just faithful. It's, and it's not just her. It seems like tons of Tongans are so faithful. Yeah. The, like, the yeah. Polynesians. Yeah. Polynesians. Yeah. They're just amazing, amazing people. Um, yeah. I, I'm over here chuckling because I had, I had the opposite experience on my mission. <laughs> you got, you got, I got bit in the leg by a dog. <laughs> it, it doesn't always go <laughs> no. smoothly. I'm, I saw the beware of dog signs and I was just, I was like walking, looking around and it was under like a truck bed and it waited oh, till I walked past and just <laughs> right on my leg. <laughs> I, I, I don't remember saying a prayer, but I guess I wasn't, <laughs> wasn't as faithful as hers. So, and I just wanted to follow up. You had sent us a couple of pictures. Is that her w with you in a couple of the pictures that you had sent? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Um, tell us about Kim. Kim. So I had, I've mentioned him a little bit earlier. Um, this is the young man. The, no, no, no. No, this was uh, my companion, Courtney, that shared her testimony. Oh, okay, and then okay. He decided to be baptized. Um, so Ken was an older man. He was in his 60s, and we found him on a previous investigator list when we were going through our area book, um, which I think are like iPads now, which is just uh, it's <laughs> kids <laughs> these not days. Like crumpled up papers. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> bad scribble writing. Um, so we found him on a previous investigator list, and you know, in the notes they had said, you know, he's repeatedly said he's not interested, you know, don't go back, kind of thing. But we were kind of running out of options and willing to talk to anybody. So we went to his house and um we found out that the sisters had actually taught him for about six months a year earlier. And he was a very devout Baptist man, and he said that he would actually be interested in taking the lessons again. And so we taught him about 45 lessons in the span of, you know, I think about two months, um, just about, you know, every topic that you can think of. It wasn't just the standard <laughs> lessons that we all go through. You know, we had individual lessons on, you know, 
virtually every gospel topic. Um, and he, you know, after lesson after lesson and Courtney was able to share her testimony with him and he had, you know, it was really the first time that he had recognized the spirit confirming that what we were saying was true. Um, he committed to be baptized. And then the next lesson we came to teach the word of wisdom. We hadn't even gotten there yet because we were still on all the foundational principles of the gospel. And, um, he, uh, was a coffee drinker, which we actually didn't even know. And, um, so we shared with him the word of wisdom and went right when coffee was brought up, he stood up in the middle of our lesson and we were both kind of like, Oh, <laughs> is everything okay? And he, he stands up and grabs his, his, um, bag of coffee and dumps it, you know, walks up to his back porch and dumps it like off of his back porch. And, you know, and he said, I, you know, I will never have coffee again. If that's what the Lord requires, then that's what I will do. Wow. And I just was so impressed with his immediate action because I think sometimes with, you know, our weaknesses, you know, whatever they may be that sometimes we like to hold on to them because it's comfortable. Mm -hmm. We're like, Oh, not quite yet. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I'm not quite going to give that up yet. Or, you know, we, we try to do it in, you know, stages, but he just was so quick to obedience and, and that he just, he wanted to do, you know, whatever heavenly father needed to him to do. Um, and leading up to his baptism, we, there was just kind of trial after trial, um, of kind of things going wrong in his life or situations, um, with work and with family. Um, and the morning of his baptism, we, we were like, we finally made it, you know? And, uh, I think a lot of people feel that way. Kind of the week leading up to a baptism, all these <laughs> things go wrong. Like Satan's oh, just man. on, you yep. know? <laughs> oh, and so we get to the morning of his baptism and, you know, it's, 20 minutes past when he's supposed to be there and he's not there. And we're like, oh no, what has <laughs> happened? And everyone's coming in, everyone's at the chapel and he still is nowhere to be seen and we're calling him. And then finally he shows up on his bike and he, you know, he's this like 65 year old man on shows up on his bike and he's like, sisters, I took a bath this morning, getting ready for my baptism. And I fell asleep. <laughs> like, I just, and I, I knew I was late, but I, I knew I had to be here. And so he, he heard on his bike and, and then we got into the baptismal font to baptize him and realized that the drain had stopped and the whole baptismal font had drained. <laughs> and we just knew, we're like, man, this, this is crazy. We've never seen so much, you know, opposition to someone being baptized. And so we filled back the font back up and everything was fine. But, um, just his persistence and all of these trials that had happened, um, in his life and being shunned by some people in a community that he had previously established, um, because he, knew that the gospel was true and that he believed in the book of Mormon and that Joseph Smith was a prophet and that God was continuing to speak to prophets, that he was willing to, to do whatever it took. And it didn't matter his financial situations or friendships. He was just willing to, to obey and, um, to go forward and just such an amazing example of faith to me. That's crazy. Uh, just these examples that you've given, it makes the, the people of New Zealand sound like just so, spiritually aware. Yeah. You're, you're, <laughs> I'll give it up. Yeah. I'll go dump out my coffee where I served in Brazil and it was like, give me the coffee. Come on. <laughs> you know, like I could <laughs> like, smell it. I could <laughs> smell it. <laughs> but these people like, like the young man earlier, you know, like, Hey, look, I, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to find out if this is true. And I know taking these, doing these steps is going to get me there. And then this man, like 
again, like all of these things, oppositions in his way, but that he just knew. And I don't know, the way you're describing these people makes me want to go be a missionary in New Zealand. I, I want to go to New Zealand, man. These people are... <laughs> the, the funny thing is as a missionary, and we, other people have talked about it, is you you meet and you teach people that are sometimes more spiritual than you are and like way more devout than than, than you thought you were. And it, it's amazing and it's humbling. And um, they're, they're, they're examples for you for the rest of your life. Um, for sure. I, I was going to say, and we've talked a lot about a lot of people on your mission and how they were changed. But tell us about yourself. Like what you came out, Kim, Kimmy, I don't, I don't know what your main name is, but you came out sister, whatever it was. <laughs> and, <laughs> sister Kimmy. Sister Kimmy. And, <laughs> and you served and you came home a different person. Like what, how did you change? What made you change into a more devoted disciple of Jesus Christ? Um, it's a great question. I think the main thing that my mission did for me was give knowledge to back up the, the natural faith that I had, because I guess growing up, I never, I was never much of a questioner. I just, I always have felt the spirit easily and have, it had never really been this big, like trial in my life. Um, and I think going on my mission, I, I realized that I actually didn't know that much about the gospel, <laughs> that I knew the feelings of the spirit and that, you know, I, you know, people knew that I believed in God because of how happy I was, but I didn't know the actual doctrines of the gospel and why the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was the church that I wanted to be a part of. And, and so I think what my mission did was just allowed me the time and um, the resources to be able to just learn the gospel. And I think that that was probably the most um, life-changing thing was just, you know, I had read the Book of Mormon before for, you know, young women's projects and stuff, but I had never searched in the Book of Mormon because someone had this question that was, you know, burning in their soul. I had never searched the scriptures for those sort of things. And then also searching, you know, the scriptures for, you know, opportunities for myself. And I think it just allowed me the time and the energy to put into really developing a lifelong testimony and kind of jumpstart my, my, the rest of my life. And I hadn't lived away from home. I, you know, I left on my mission the fall after I graduated. And so I had a lot of maturing to do, and I was pretty homesick for the first couple months. And so I think it just, you know, in a good way, kind of ripped me away from my, my support system and made me rely on, on heavenly father, because even when you have a companion and even when you have amazing ward members around you, sometimes there's things that you just need to work out for yourself and with your heavenly father. And the mission is so unique because you don't have your lifelines right there, your normal lifelines, but you have the lifeline that actually matters, which is your personal relationship with heavenly father and your personal change and, um, repentance through Christ. And so I think that was the the biggest lesson and the thing that I'm, I'm most grateful for, um, coming out of my mission. That's awesome. Cause that, and that goes back to right to like general conference. Like it's all about that personal relationship, the, you know, being able to receive revelation and, and understand where it's coming from and that, that relationship with your heavenly father. Yeah, for sure. We're, we're living in a very different 
time right now, right? With the church meeting at home and everything like that. And, and basically having general conference prep us. And if you boil it down, it's your relationship with your, with your heavenly father. Um, and the, the ability to have that personal revelation to strengthen you through these hard times is yeah. Having, having learned that on a mission makes it a little easier now. <laughs> and, and you talked about feeling homesick and I think that's a, a super common feeling that everyone has. Um, what, what advice would you give to a missionary that's feeling homesick? Oh, <laughs> um, I, I guess my first thought goes to the story of president Heakley's dad sending him the letter saying, forget yourself and go to work. Um, but that really is the best advice. I can <laughs> give. Um, homesickness, at least in my experience was, it wasn't, I mean, I missed relationships, but I think I missed, um, the conveniences of what a high school life was like, <laughs> you know, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't used to, you know, I was used to, you know, hanging out with friends and, you know, life being pretty relaxed and easy and then transitioning into a completely structured every hour of the day you're productive, um, was a hard transition. But as soon as I, stop thinking about the things that I was, you know, quote unquote, missing out on, um, back at home. That's when I able, was able to start having experiences that I'm, you know, wouldn't give for the, give up for the world now. Yeah. And I think that as soon as you're able to throw yourself in and fully commit and be present, um, that's when the homesickness will go away. Um, is, is because you're too enveloped in the people and what you're doing to, to feel that way. Gotcha. It's something that like nobody's safe from being homesick. No, yeah. And you could be like the yeah. toughest. There's going to be something or, you know, like, like you said, uh, the convenience of being a high school and not having to, I remember getting to the mission field and like cooking a hamburger patty and like, <laughs> oh, this is what I'm eating for lunch. You know, like, I don't know how to do anything. I remember I had a Michigan patty to boil the sausage. Like, cause he thought, he thought that's how you cooked it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but it's, you, those are the things Like, you might not miss your family. You might not, you know, homesickness can be broken down in so many different ways, but yeah, for quote unquote, forgetting yourself and going to work definitely relieve some of that tension. And it's funny, the last handful of people that we've interviewed, it's always come back down to forget yourself and go to work. And, and yeah, we, we know that sounds kind of cliche and, but it's all in, in retrospect, like just, just go serve. Everything else will get taken care of. Just go serve. Yeah. Um, one thing that you talked about was your life gets super regimented as you go on a mission and you're working, but how important is it to have fun on your mission? so important. <laughs> um, I think the first, my, my first, my trainer, um, she is incredible. And one of my closest friends to this day, um, she taught me the way that I need to be taught, which was, you know, exact obedience. And we were home at exactly nine o'clock and we were sitting at the table exactly at 8am to start personal study. And she taught me the principle of exact obedience, which is, is such an important, I cannot express how important that is. Um, but I think that as I went on in my mission, I realized that exact obedience could still mean like enjoying yourself. And I think that in my mind, it was either like one or the other, you know, and, and, um, 
I, I realized that, you know, it's just not sustainable to not enjoy where you are, you know, and, and that could be anywhere, you know, but like, especially walking around in New Zealand, I'm like, how on earth can I be like sad about being here? Like <laughs> I am in literally the most beautiful place on earth. Um, and I need to enjoy these times. And so, um, that was kind of a lesson that my trainer and I learned together. And we've, we've talked about, um, following how both of us just had this discovery of, you know, the exact obedience, you know, could also mean enjoying the time that you have. And so, you know, taking, um, I know every mission's a little bit different, but our mission president, you know, would let us go on the sand, um, cause we were on, you know, they had these beautiful beaches. And so, you know, we set up, uh, on Wednesday nights for an hour, we would play rugby on the beach and invite anyone that was walking on the beach to come play with us. And it ended up being one of like our greatest finding tools because everyone was bringing their friends and knew that all the missionaries were going to play rugby on Wednesday nights. And then we'd have a lesson and a prayer. And I can't tell you how many different people from different countries that we met that prayed with us for the first time and just had these experiences. But if we had been so caught up in like, no, you know, we we knock doors and we talk to people and we only do this and, and didn't expand our mind into like these different activities and stuff can can really be a great way of finding. I think we would have missed out on a lot of really special opportunities. So just taking those times to laugh with your companion to when something bad happens to, you know, joke yeah. about it. And, you know. <laughs> you, you have to. It. It's, it's, in, it's enjoying the journey, right? I think even, even we've talked about this before as members of the church, I think culturally we're like so self-deprecating in the position that we might find ourselves when it's like, there's no better time than now to live, right? Enjoy the process. You know, like you said, if something's, if your companion steps in a puddle of mud, you got to chuckle about it. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> but, you know, there's there's two sides of the coin that you can approach the situation. And I love yeah, that. For I, sure. I love that you said that you had the false mindset that it was exact obedience, obedience or happiness. It wasn't that you can have both. And that's not true. You can have both. Heavenly Father, he wouldn't give us commandments if he didn't want us to be happy. Yeah. You know, and so it's, to protect us, but I love that your mission president allowed you guys to, you know, do think things, outside the box, a think bit. outside the box, but also like show people like, oh, LDS people are human and they enjoy things too. They can be fun. They don't just <laughs> walk on the street up and down and talk to everyone. Like yeah. they, they do that, but they're, they're human too. And there's fun side to them as well. For sure. I think, um, just in kind of wrapping up, if, so Hamilton, there's still three missions in New Zealand, Hamilton, Auckland, and Yes. Wellington? Uh, is that what Christchurch? Yes. Or Wellington. Okay. Tech, dude, look Wellington, at me over yeah. here. I'm a, it's kinda, I'm yes. a mission pro. <laughs> um, there, let's say there's a, there's a, a sister out there. She just um, graduated early due to the coronavirus and put her papers in and she gets her, her, uh, her mission call to your exact mission. What, how would you pump her up? What were, what would be some words of advice that you would give her, her or, or elders? Um, I would say first get on your knees and thank your heavenly father for sending you to the greatest. <laughs> that's a great reaction. Um, say, that's that awesome. awesome. <laughs> that's alpha. That that's would be my, my first word of advice and anyone, you know, and I know everyone thinks their mission is the greatest, but I, I just, I have such a, a love you know for, it. um, for New Zealand. <laughs> um, but I guess my words of advice would be to open up your heart, um, and to, let these people teach you. Um, because 
you're going to do so you're going to learn and grow so much more from their examples than, than they are from yours. Um, so I think just being humble and ready to learn and to embrace and to learn their culture because they, they love to share it. They're not selfish with their beliefs and with their cultural experiences and, and they want you to learn. So be ready to learn and ready to just enjoy a wonderful mission. Uh, when we were leaving the MTC, they had each, they called each mission and they would stand up and, you know, everyone would cheer for him the day we were leaving. And when we all stood up for New Zealand, you know, he said, enjoy your vacation. And you know, everyone <laughs> But in some ways, like it is the greatest, you're in the greatest circumstances to share the gospel. You're somewhere beautiful with wonderful people, with a loving people and with the people that have a deep spiritual connection to Heavenly Father, whether they know who Heavenly Father is or not, they have this deep personal relationship. So you're just in the best position possible to share the gospel. So just take advantage of every moment and opportunity and um, and enjoy yourself because it, it will truly be the best, you know, the best year and a half or the best, you know, two years. It, I know it has been for me. So That's awesome. Well, wrapping up, would you mind sharing your, your testimony in English? You can, you can toss them out in there. Yeah, you can toss them. That'd be cool. <laughs> um, yes, I would, I would love to. Um, I, I really am so grateful for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I am grateful for the foundation that my mission gave me in order to um, go forward in my life as, as new challenges and um, circumstances have come up even, you know, within this year. I just have, have such faith that Heavenly Father is aware of us and aware of our needs and aware of our struggles. And that as we put faith in Him and we put faith in our Savior, Jesus Christ, um, that our families can can be exalted. And that's the whole point of missionary work is to help other families be able to be together forever. And and so I'm, I'm just deeply grateful for um, all the, the men and women that have gone before us and prophets and um, the prophet Joseph Smith for bringing about the Book of Mormon and just what a strength it is to us today in such tumultuous times. And um, I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Kimmy, thank you so much. Yeah, we appreciate it. I want to go visit New Zealand. I, it <laughs> <laughs> sounds beautiful. It sounds like a, an awesome place to serve. So you're, <laughs> you're so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> When you're like, get, get down on your knees and thank your Heavenly Father for sending you to the best mission. It's like, my mission was good. I don't know that. Like, <laughs> it was all right. <laughs> no, but awesome. I, I, I've, I've, I could see that you have a love for those people and a love, um, you know, for New Zealand itself. And we're excited to give you the opportunity to share your story with, with your friends that are still there and in your family. And so thank you for, for giving us this opportunity to, to talk to you. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, well, we'll wrap it up and post this on a Sunday, and I'll send you a link with with the the episode, <laughs> episode details so you can share it to all your friends. Yeah, <laughs> awesome, awesome. Thanks again. Awesome, thank you so much, guys. Yep, yep. bye bye. We'll see ya. Mm -hmm, bye.